I'm going to uh, pick up where I left off about three or four weeks ago. I think our last lesson was the last uh, Sunday in January. This is the last Sunday in February. So we've missed the last three classes. But I want you to go to the book of Romans with us, uh, chapter 1. And uh, I'm talking or dealing with this subject about uh, God's judgment against sin. And uh, the Lord lets us know through the writings of Paul that God will indeed judge sin and he will deal with sin. Uh, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And uh, wherever sin begins to increase and get worse, the grace of God begins to get greater. And that's something we must always remember. What's happening in the world today is that the world is getting more sinful. I'm going to talk to you about that side of things this morning. But the other side of the coin is that God's grace is also getting greater. And uh, it, we, I just came back from uh, our district conference in Ocala. We're getting tremendous reports from all over the world about God's work and God's move in nations and countries and places that we hardly even knew existed. How the, the apostolic movement baptism in Jesus name the Holy Ghost infilling where people receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues uh, this is just happening all over the world in great great numbers it's, it's becoming a, it's an amazing thing it used to be that America was a strong Christian nation and we were helping all of these other heathen nations sort of get a foothold it's beyond that now they are larger in number greater in number it's uh, the people are just it's multiplying there's other countries now sending missionaries to other countries that speak the same language as their language. And, it's, you know, it's not even involving uh, America anymore. I'm just telling you that to, to tell you that the wonderful work of God is happening in the world. But at the same time, there is also the working of Satan in the world to try to make you and I think that he's pretty well got it all wrapped up. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And I want you to turn with me, if you will, again, to the first chapter of the book of Romans. And uh, this is where Paul is talking to the Roman church. I'm going to read the 18th verse. I've read several verses here. And I'm going to use again here this little chart. I won't go into detail like I did the last, uh, last month. But it's just the one about the degradation of man. And uh, let me focus it here. Okay, that was the automatic focus. And let me give a little closer close up here. Just give me a second here to get this right where you can see it. Now I'll move that up off the black spot there at the bottom. But this is just uh, the scriptures that we're dealing with here in the first chapter of the book of Romans. And uh, if you look at the very top here, the knowledge of God, but they did not worship him or were thankful. Look at the 18th verse in Romans 1. I'm going to touch on these very lightly and then get on into our major subject here this morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
And so this is telling us that God is against all of this. He will judge it. He will deal with it. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is made known in them, for God hath showed it unto them. And we talked to you about how that God has revealed to people who were just heathens that never even knew the Old Testament. They were not Jews. And this is the ancient times, but they knew the right thing to do. And they knew there was a God because God has showed it unto them. And then verse 20 goes on to say, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How are invisible things of God clearly seen? It says being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, they are understood in, the, in fact. So that they, these people of the ancient times who, re, who fell into sin and became wicked and ungodly, they are without excuse because God has given enough evidence in the universe, in the world, for people to look at and say, there is a God. And I want to seek him, I want to find him, I want to search after him. And we have numer, numerous examples of men all over the world who have sought after God, tried to find God. And because they said, there's got to be a God. And we talked to you about that last time, and I won't go into much detail about it here today. But I do want to point out to you here that <clears throat> there is a condition that's developing in the world today in which there's sort of an anti-God attitude. And there is, a, and there is some violence that comes with it where there is unrighteousness. Uh, that, is a, there is, that is violence comes out of that. Uh, unrighteousness is where we sort of, we disregard the last of the Ten Commandments, which is uh, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not commit adultery, do not, all of these, honor thy mother and father that, they, that the days may be long in the earth. We don't do those things. Those are our relationships with our fellow man. It's what we're doing against other people. That's sort of an unrighteous. Ungodliness is where we begin to have an affront with God himself. Now, I'm going to cover both of these things a little bit with some scriptures that happened in the past, in the ancient times, because the Bible says here that when they uh, knew God, they glorified him not as God, and they fell into this thing, this that became a, a falling away thing. They became uh, lifted up in their own uh, imaginations, and so what the scripture says, their foolish heart was darkened, and right on down the line, until they became uh, idol worshipers, and then God gave them over to a reprobate mind to believe a lie and to be damned and everything. We've covered these things pretty well uh, in our previous lesson, but I'm just going to touch on some of these things in more detail here today because so many things are happening. So many things are happening. And uh, we just saw just this past week uh, the violence down in Fort Lauderdale area down there where some, some kid goes into a school and starts shooting up people, you know. And this is not the first time. As you well know, my daughter is, is, a, is, a, is an elementary school principal. She, she's a principal of elementary school. She has 700 children under her, under her watch and 100 staff members, you know. And, uh, and I pray for her every day. Every, I pray for her school. Every day I pray for her. I pray for her. I pray for her staff. I pray for her cafeteria workers. I pray for her custodians. And, and I pray for all the teachers and I pray for all the children. And I just say, God, let your angels be camped around about them. I think it's important that we as Christians begin to realize that we need to be praying for our children, for our young people, 
for our loved ones and these things and hold them up in the Lord in prayer because this is a crazy, crazy world we're beginning, is not beginning, it's a crazy world we live in and a lot of crazy things are beginning to happen and we're seeing more and more of that here today. Now, I, uh, <clears throat> I want you to go with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit here about some things that were going on before the flood. This is a characteristic uh, of things uh, that happened or going on when in, in uh, Noah's day. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. And uh, I know they were talking more like eating, drinking, marriage, giving, and marriage. Everything was just going on in a normal way. But there were other things happening in Noah's day. Look at chapter 6 of Genesis in verse 5. And it says that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, let me say one thing here. What some people call knowledge is not knowledge, it's men's imagination. I do not believe in evolution, the theory of evolution, Darwin's theory of evolution. I do not believe in it. It's never been proven as a fact. It is still a theory, but people, they use it as a fact. They, are, they just assume it's a fact and it's never has been a fact, never was a fact. Because if you assume in the theory of evolution, you think that a frog jumped out of the pond and he developed into a turtle and the turtle developed into a rabbit and a rabbit into a, an elephant and all that kind of stuff. And finally, man came out of all of that over a period of millions of years, you know, and there's just no end to it. And uh, this, is the, this is the theory of evolution. And I do not believe in the theory. I believe God created everything just like the Bible says, chapter one. And we, of course, we believe that, all of us here. But I'm just pointing out to you here that this is, is one of the factions of the imaginations of men. Uh, there was a, a woman who was a, a doctor. She, uh, when I was a young person, she was an older lady then. <clears throat> she went to the Samoan Islands and she lived among the people. And she came back and wrote a book and said that if young people did not marry and just live together and just, just slept around with each other, there would be no violence, there'd be no, there would be no malice between each other and everything, everybody'd be happy. And, uh, and so she began to propose, propose that. Uh, I was assistant pastor in Lafayette, Indiana, which is right next, right across the river from West Lafayette, Indiana, where Purdue University was. She came to Purdue University, spoke there. Uh, and, and she went to Minnesota University. She spoke there. All these universities, she had big speeches given to these young people. So the young people started thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't get married. So they start living together. This is where all that stuff started way back there. And it was years later, years later when she had died, that another man who was a doctor uh, studying philosophy and so forth, humanism, humanitarianism, went to the Samoan Islands and spent time there. And he said, she lied to us. She lied to us. That was totally wrong. They were sleeping around. They were living like they, like she described, but they were unhappy. They were miserable. They were committing suicide. They were fighting each other. They were violent. There's violence on the islands. It was just so underhanded and it went on and they had a high rate there. And he came back and said, she lied to us. Well, I thank God that I said, the Bible's right. She's not right. You know, that's imaginations of men, folks. And the world is full of that. 
And it's being handed down to us and it's very subtly being put into our children. Now, let me finish reading here. I'm here in Genesis chapter six, verse five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 11 here. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Verse 13. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now notice here that one of the great characteristics of that period of time was the violence that had developed where people were fighting and they were hatred, full of hatred and malice and fighting and so forth. And it was in all of that, uh, that environment that God uh, said that Noah found grace in his sight, Noah built the ark, survived the flood, and everybody else drowned, as you well know, except Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives ate all together and so forth. And then they came out of the flood. Now, notice this. This is after the flood. This, what I just read to you, was before the flood. After the flood, when they came out of the ark, this is what the Lord told them to do. Verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis. We're still in Genesis here. I know I get our people upstairs there jumping around with these numbers. All right, God bless those people. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And that's what the God commanded them to do. Verse seven, and you be ye fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So God wanted them to say, okay, the earth now is clean and is cleansed. I want you to go forth and I want you to begin to multiply in the earth and to uh, have families, grow, have children. Can I just say something here today? Sex is not wrong in marriage. It's got to be always in marriage. It's outside of marriage in any situation that is wrong. And that's where the sin is. But within the marriage, families and children, that's all God's will. God established the marriage. The marriage and the church is what God established. God joined man and woman together, and that was his institution. This is why Satan attacks the marriage. He doesn't attack uh, sex. He attacks the marriage. Anything outside of the marriage, oh, he glorifies it and magnifies it and makes us think, or not us, but people in the world, think that, oh, there's something out there for them. And that's all a great big lie from the pits of hell. In marriage is what God has sanctified, and that is happiness, that is joy, and that is pleasure. And that's where you will find the greatest joys of life, is having a family and raising a family. And that's what God told them to do, go in all the world and multiply and have families and grow and so forth and do for it. Now, what happened? Let me, uh, let me read some verses of scripture to you. This is in the book of Genesis here. I'm going over here now to chapter 10, verse eight. God established the marriage, homes. And I'm gonna say once again here, this is why that you'll have trouble in your home sometimes because Satan will attack your home. Wives, he'll attack your home. Husbands, he'll attack your home. I especially speak to our men today. Fight for your family. 
fight for your marriage. Fight for the things that are so important. Don't be so flippant. Women, don't be so flippant about the good husband God gave you. You men, the good wife God gave you. Uh, Stay together. Walk with God. Serve the Lord. You can work through anything. Amen. But it is Satan's business to try to break a marriage or break a home or divide a home. And that's his business. He'll do it. He'll try to do it. That's why you and I have to stand up to that. Just like he'll try to, to try to break up a church, bring in problems in the church. If he can, thank God that there's none in this church that I know of. And God is just a blessing to this congregation. But he will try to do it here and there once in a while along the way. Now let me move on here. I want you to read this, look at me with this 10th chapter of the 8th verse here. And Cush begat Nimrod. Cush was uh, one of the, uh, he was the grandson, I think, of Noah. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter. This is after the flood now. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, uh, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, B-A-B-E-L, is this pronounced there. That is the city of, or the country that later became known as Babylon. Uh, the word Babel here is, is used. Look at verse, chapter 11, verse 1 of, of Genesis here. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Okay, so when they came out of the ark, the three sons and their wives and so forth, they came there and they settled down into the land, what we know today as being southern Iraq, between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. And they called the land of Shinar. And it's in this land that they begin to live. Verse 4, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto the heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth, contrary to what God said. God said, go into all the world, replenish the earth. It's all before you. You know, everybody just go forth, have families, grow families, you know, and just go from there. And they said, no, 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 no. We're all going to all congregate in one little spot here and we're going to build us a great and mighty city and so forth. It goes on to say in verse 6 here, I'm still here in Genesis eleven six. And the Lord said, behold, the people is as one. They have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will restrain them from which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, he and some angels with him. And that they may, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And it goes on to say here, so the Lord scattered them abroad from the thence upon the face of the earth and they left off to build the city. Verse nine, therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence uh, did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. The word Babel, you know, just said somebody just babbling away, they're talking, but nobody understands what they did by Babel, Babel. And that means confusion. And this comes from the Hebrew word confusion. <clears throat> so the word Babel, and so that's where the word Babylon came from and everything. Uh, I have a book here written by Joe, it's written by Josephus. Some of you are aware of it. He was born in 37 AD, just seven years after Jesus was crucified. He was born. He lived in the first century. He was a Jewish historian. And at that, at the time of his life, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And he proceeded to write 
all about the war and also about the history of the Jews because Josephus thought that the Jewish nation was almost like wiped off the face of the earth and he wanted to leave a record of their past and so forth. I'm just going to read something here out of Josephus to you here about what we just read out of the Bible here. And this is uh, some writings here. It says, God also commanded the people of, in Noah's day when they came out of the ark, Noah and his children. It says, God also commanded them to, to send colonies abroad for the thorough population and peopling of the earth, that they might cultivate a great part of the earth and enjoy its fruits after a plentiful manner. But they did not obey God. In other words, they didn't do that. God admonished them again. And this is where you have the other verse here in the Bible. That's in chapter 9. God admonished them again to send out colonists. He called it colonists. Uh, but they, imagining the prosperity they enjoyed was not derived from the favor of God. Everybody getting that? In other words, we're becoming prosperous, but they did not derive that from the favor of God, but supposing that their own power was the proper cause of the plentiful condition they were in, and they did not obey him. Then it goes on to say, now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand, He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. Do you see here where there is a trend now, not just of unrighteousness against your neighbor, but there's also an affront to God. It's like, we don't, we don't believe God. We don't believe his word. We don't believe the things of God. Are you following me here? What I'm trying to bring around to you. This is sort of an ungodly factor here, unrighteous and godly. And he went on to say here, he persuaded them not to describe to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from fear of God, but to bring them into constant dependence and fear upon his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for he had, he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Now the multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod and to esteem it a piece of cowardness to submit to him and they built a tower. And it goes on to talk about him and this is where the beginning of idolatry, I won't go into that detail, but lot. That's the beginning of idolatry. That's why in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation, it talks about the fall of Babylon. You say Babylon's long been fallen. It's that spirit that Babylon introduced and it's idolatry. The spirit of idolatry is worship. And that's what we've got on the chart here. Because as men begin to fall away from God and their foolish heart was darkened and they became more and more, uh, they, they became wise in themselves. Next thing you know, they were worshiping idols And they were saying that God is here, God is there, God is such and such, and God is in all these other places, which is all a lie and is not true, and as you well know. So what I'm bringing out to you here is some of these things here where men's hearts, they were darkened, and uh, they fell into idolatry, and all kind of things begin to develop, begin to happen, and begin to believe in weird things. Uh, My wife and I were invited to uh, watch a... uh, a presentation here called Blue Planet uh, not long ago and uh, we 
you know, we ask, is it clean? Is it no bad language? No, none of that, none of that. Everybody said, okay. So anyhow, we went to it with another Pentecostal couple to, to watch this. And when I got into it, I realized that I, I, guess I guess I was a little bit surprised because it seems like the world uses every opportunity today to suddenly present views that are anti-God. And while it had no violence or while it had no bad language and no, uh, you know, no, what do you call it, risque stuff going on and none of that, it still had a subtle message in it. And I picked up on it very quickly. It was the subject of humanism. Humanism is a subject that the highest order in the universe is us humans. We're, the, we're it. We're it. Forget God. I don't know about God. Where is God? Who, who knows? I mean, they just dismiss God altogether. It's us humans. We have, to, we have to run everything. We have to control everything. We have to be mindful of everything. We have to be very careful. Us, all this global warming stuff is all about us humans are causing the world to, 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 get, to go bad. Therefore, we have to be very careful and all that stuff. That's all part of humanism. That Ice Age thing, I could go back and give you the history and all that stuff. And I, I've read and studied all of it. And, and it's, uh, it's bogus. But anyhow, I'm just trying to tell you, and I can show you a scripture in the Bible where it says that harvest time, planting time, will be until the end of the world. When God says it's time to wrap it up, then, he'll, then it'll be wrapped up, but not until then. But we went to see this story, and I thought, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be a little ballet thing, you know, and the ladies like it and all that kind of stuff, you know. And what we saw, what we saw was like a forest floor, trees, and it was like leaves and everything laying all on them, and stumps and and roots and uh, pieces of a log like you're looking in a forest. And you're looking at the stage and that's what you're looking at. And suddenly, suddenly those roots became people. They just stood up. And they were, hum- they were people lying on the stage floor. This was a, a stage production. They were lying on the stage floor and they had colored leaves and the earth and black all over their face, all over their hands, all over their clothes, they, their face and their hands and their clothes all looked the same, like just like it was what the floor looked like. And one by one, these, these roots and these stumps and things began to just come to life. And okay, and I said, well, that's, that's, that's clever, it's interesting how it's done that they did that, but they were saying that man is just coming from the earth, you know? The earth is our mother. And that's what that humanism is all about. The earth, we owe everything to the earth, not to God. Forget God. It's to the earth that we owe everything. The earth is the giver of our life and everything. And they go through the ballet and all the, you know, dancing around and flitting around and so forth. Then they come to another scene. And I'm just sort of getting breezing through it here real fast. They come to another where there's a big curtain that's drawn around the platform, the stage like this. And suddenly, they create the, the vision that you're looking at an aquarium. That, that curtain thing is transparent, and it looks like you're looking into an aquarium. And then they have these, uh, these, you know, these, these things that come down out of the ceiling, and you've got these fish that come across and start swimming. And then you've got people look like uh, bear maids, you know, with tails, and they're, they're down there swimming around in there. And I keep looking at that and I said, okay, this is the subtle message that man comes from the water. You know, he's part of water. In other words, we are not separate from that. We are part of that. It's part of us. We're part of it. 
that's where we, that's where our background is and all that kind of thing. And it goes on and on and on and all that kind of stuff and everything. And then they had one about the birds, same thing about the birds and everything and mountains and everything. And then the birds. And it's funny how that they always had men coming in out of that, you know. And so they went from thing to thing to thing like that. And, uh, they had all about the water park and, and then they had uh, another one of where they, they were, they showed a tree, big tree, like a big oak tree, no leaves on it, coming out and sitting in the middle of the platform. And it had limbs and all over it. And suddenly all those limbs began to move and they became a part and they were all people that was all colored like limbs. They looked like limbs and they began to move and come out. And so they were the tree. I mean, some of the tree was the real tree, but Nine, 50% of the tree was people. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, there's a subtle message here. There may not be any vulgar language here. There may not be any risque, you know, language here. There may not be any, uh, you know, the way they dress or anything is wrong. No, but it's the message that they're giving. And the message is that mother earth is our God. And therefore we are to, and I thought, here's, People coming one show after another, after another, watching this. And there's a subtle message of humanism that we don't owe God anything, but we owe Mother Earth everything. Folks, let me tell you something here. You and I as Christians, we've got to say, no, no, it's God. God made everything. God is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He's the creator. Praise the Lord. The Bible says God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. God made him from the earth. We are the earth earthly, yes. But God breathed into Adam. If he had not breathed into Adam the breath of life, Adam would still have just been a lump of clay. You know, you know what I'm saying? God has made everything and everything that has life, God has put the life in them. If it's animal life or fish life or whatever it is, it didn't just evolve from mother earth of some type. Praise the Lord. It was given by almighty God. And therefore we need to give God praise and glory. But that's the subtle message that is also being presented in this world. This is why our children are very vulnerable to those things. It's, it's being, you know, handled through our schools and all these kind of things. And I think it's just very important that we understand here the, the subtlety of all of this presentation of no God, but everything is just the earth or everything is whatever without God. And so they keep promoting this in one way or the other. Praise the Lord. And uh, the Bible says that they became food, they, the imaginations of their heart. They became idol worshipers. Let me show you something about idol worshipers. Let me have you turn to Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's Deuteronomy 18. Um, look at Deuteronomy uh, 12 it is. Deuteronomy 12:30. Look at this for just a moment. Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them after th- that they be destroyed from before thee. In other words, the heathen that were before you that you go in and you destroy, just take heed to their worship and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Don't you ever say that? He was saying to the Jews. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God for every abomination to the Lord, which he hated, have they done unto their gods. 
For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. They sacrifice their own children. And you've, you've heard of stories like that in some of these pagan countries. Sacrifice their own children to a pagan god because they believed that that image or that god that existed or wherever he was was there. And also uh, this Nimrod and so forth, he said, you know, it's not God that gave you all of this, but we did it ourselves. It was by our own strength that we did all this. Let me show you what the scripture says. I'm reading here from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 11. Beware, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments. Look at verse 12. This is Deuteronomy 8, 12. And it says here, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. He said, be careful that you don't do that. Jumping down to verse 17 very quickly here. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And I'm saying all of that, folks, because God has blessed America. And, and, and it's not our form of government, even though we have a, a great form of government called democracy. Everything. It's not the form of government. It's God's blessings on this country. And I thank God for that. And, I, and, and you and I have enjoyed that. But it is the blessings of God upon America that we enjoy. And it's not just, uh, it's not our own hands. All right? There's people that work from sunup to sundown all hard as they can work and have just barely enough food to eat and water to drink in this world. And you and I, you know, we can't say, oh, it's by my might, by my power, by my strength, by my, you know, this and that. Yeah, 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 I'm, 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 I'm this, I'm that. It's none of that. It's God's blessings. That's why when you come in, that's why the Lord said in Romans here, be thankful. He says, when they had all these things, they were not thankful. Amen. When you wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the day. Thank you for life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my job. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the car I drive. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your presence, your power, the Holy God. I mean, you could, you could spend 30 minutes just thanking God for all the things that he is worthy to be thanked for. Praise the Lord. And we need to praise God and acknowledge God in all these things because I'm telling you, this is what the world would have you not to do. So if the God's people will begin to say, God, we believe in you and we trust in you and we hold fast to you. God will not fail us, but he'll be with us in everything and he'll keep his hand on us and he will walk with us and, and his presence will be with us. Praise God. I'm going to move on here. Uh, I want to talk about an area here that's a little sensitive. I'm going to go into the next part of that first chapter here. It says here, the 20, I'm going to verse 24. And they had all the imaginations of the heart and finally... Uh, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, which is, uh, which is mentioned over in, uh, in verse 28, but I'm not there yet. Look at verse 24. Everybody with me? Put on your safety belt. Don't nobody ever, don't nobody get offended here. I'm going to talk straight to you here. Everybody with me? All right. This is from the word of God. Therefore, God also gave them up. 
you follow after the way of the Lord, you want to believe a lie and be damned and all those kind of things. And the Bible talks about that. I'm quoting scripture when I use that phrase. When if you want to follow that course, God will give us up. You give us the individual I'm talking about. You give us up. And it says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. <clears throat> who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. The creature is that that's made of God, who is blessed forever, the creator who is blessed forever, amen. It says, verse 26, for this cause, and Paul doesn't leave anything here to anybody's imagination. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. <clears throat> Verse 27, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men. I'm speaking of homosexuality here in case you don't know. I'm not speaking, this is the Bible speaking of it here. And, and also lesbianism. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, I've read all that and there's other many scriptures that talk about this homosexual factor. I don't have to go into detail here. Uh, uh, it's just the fact that the word does speak about it. Uh, I'm going to read a verse of scripture here in Leviticus. Just, just give me a moment here. It says here, thou shalt not lie with mankind as thou does with woman, womankind. It is an abomination. I'm reading here just a couple of uh, chapters over. I'm reading Leviticus here. This is in 2013. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination they shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon them, so forth. That was in the Old Testament, uh, and so forth. And, of course, this goes on, Deuteronomy, I'm going to read one other verse here. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, 17, There shall be no uh, harlot among the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. And so the scripture speaks here. It talks about the 19th chapter of Genesis, where the whole city of Sodom and the five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities. They were the two biggest cities of the five cities altogether. And uh, anyhow, the, the, uh, how God rained down fire and destroyed them when Lot brought Lot and his family out and rained fire down because of the sin of homosexuality. Uh, I have been in Pompeii, this, the ancient city of Pompeii. And uh, I have stood on the streets of the ancient city of Pompeii, which was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius in 79 A.D., Mount Vesuvius was a, was a mountain that blew the top of the volcano. The ashes came down and covered the entire city. And it literally, literally froze everybody in the condition and position and place that they were that time of the day when it all happened. They were, some of them were running, some were eating breakfast or dinner or whatever meal it was. And it didn't freeze them so much as it just, it, it put an ash around them and it killed them. And it preserved them so that when they began to excavate it, they found these people in these different forms and so forth all over there. And the city was wholly given to some homosexuality. I stood on the streets 
the cobblestone streets that was there when that city was destroyed 2,000 years ago with friend. The guide said, and it was a woman guide, and she was talking to our group. We're all standing looking at her. And she said, if you will look down, she never looked down. But when you look down, there was a, there's a sign there for homosexuality pointing a certain direction to go to engage in homosexuality houses. And she said, this was all, this is all over the city. This is town. This town was totally given to homosexuality. I'm just saying folks that God deals with it. It is a sin, but in our world today and in America today, there is a push not to be biblical with this. Just leave it alone. Don't, don't deal with it. Don't touch it. I'm, I'm giving you the honest. That's why that we have to stand up for truth. We have to stand for it. Praise the Lord. We had a, we had a couple of year, years ago, it's been about, I don't know, over 20 years ago, we had a couple of lesbian ladies who came to our church. One of our sisters brought her to the church and said, Brother Myers, uh, we have a couple of ladies. I said, that's fine, that's no problem. After service, uh, they sent word to me, said, would you come to visit us in our home? I said, yes. So I sent word that I would be there. I made a time appointment, and I went to see them in their home. And uh, when I went there, and so they were very nice, cordial. I sat down in their living room. We sat and talked. And they said, we want to ask you a question. They said, can we be saved? I said, yes. Yes, you can be saved. And they, but not in the lifestyle you're in. They said, so we have to leave our lifestyle and change and become straight to be saved. I said, yes. Then they said to me, what if we were born this way? I said, you were not born this way. See, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. You know, you're not a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body. God messed up or whatever. It doesn't happen that way. I said, and I said, I didn't say that to them, but I just said, you were not born this way. I said, you were introduced to this. And they, they looked at me and I said, somewhere in your life, and you know where it was, you were introduced to this deviant lifestyle. I didn't use the word deviant. I just said to this lifestyle, you were introduced to this. And the one woman said to me, she says, yes. And I know when it was, and I, remember, I know when it was. Yes, you're right. And everything. And she says, would you pray for us that we could be changed? I said, yes, I will. The other woman looked at me with a hard look. And she says, I was born this way. I was born this way. I looked at her right back. I said, no, you weren't. I said, you know in your heart that you were introduced to it and you know when you were. And she blinked her eyes and did a little nod like that. That's all she did. But she eventually, she, she confirmed to it. But then she said, I don't want to change. I don't want to change. And I said, when you get ready to change, I will be your friend I will pray with you. I said, God can give you his spirit. He'll give you the power to be above this and live above it. And I believe that folks. In the first, in the book of first Corinthians, it says in one place, God said, uh, such were some of you, which means, and he named off all sin. One of us, the sin of homosexuality. And he, he names off all these sins there to the Corinthians. He says, such were some of you. I'm just telling you, God can save anybody. But he's not going to leave you that no more than he leaves an adulterer in adultery or a fornicator in his fornications. You know, he can save anybody, but you've got to come out of that old sinful. You've got to leave Egypt. Praise the Lord. You've got to come into the body of Christ and the church of the living God and so forth. And be saved. God will give you the power to do it. And so I told him that. 
Six months later, they were back. And one of our, the sisters said to me, uh, these people are back and said, one of them has cancer and she's dying. And they only give her just a few months to live, six months. And she wants to come down to be for prayer. Folks, I'll tell you the truth. She came and during the prayer says she came down. I knew why she was there. I knew what she was there for. And I went to pray for her. And God moved on me with the spirit of God. And I'm telling you the truth. That woman could have been healed right then. I do not question. I feel the Holy Ghost all over me right now telling you the story. And I looked at her and I said, do you want to be healed? Or do you want to be prayed for? Now ask yourself on that sometimes. If you go down to, to be prayed for, do you really want to receive the Holy Ghost or do you just want to pray? Do you really want to be healed or do you really want to just be prayed for? Because sometimes to be healed, there are some conditions involved. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? I said to her, do you want to be healed or do you want to be prayed for? And she blinked her eyes and she looked at me. And it, looked, it felt like it was for a whole 10 minutes, but it was only for, I guess, maybe a few, several seconds. She looked at me and then she said, prayed for. And I knew when she said that, that she was not going to change her lifestyle. Because I would have said to her, and she said, I want to be healed. I said, you know what you got to do. You got to change your lifestyle. And I said, okay, I'll pray for you. She said, I said, what do you want to, you want to be healed or you want to be prayed for? And she says, prayed for. But she was saying in heart, I don't think I can change. I don't want to try to change. I am not going to change. Just pray for me. I laid hands on her and prayed for her. And service went on. They went on back to their home. Six months later, she died. She died of cancer. And I feel sad in telling you that. But I'm just telling you, folks, God can do anything. But we have to stay straight with God. And we have to be straight with God. And God wants to save a lot of people. I don't care what kind of, what kind of sin abounds, but grace doth much more abound. Praise God. And God wants to save a lot of people. And he wants a lot of people to be saved. And you and I, as the body of Christ and the people of God, we've got to tell them about it. We've got to get the message out because the power of God is greater than anything in this world. I don't care what it is. Any kind of addiction, drug addiction, anything else, God is greater. Let's just stand together and worship God and praise him right now together, would you? Let's just worship him. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you, God. You're the mighty God, the heavenly Father. You're our king, our soon coming king. You're our friend. You said you were our friend, God. And we glorify you for it, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.